Are you loving the BinderCast? Come experience the magic in person at BinderCon.com. Our next conference will be in New York City, October 29th and 30th. And you can get your tickets at shop.bindercon.com. There's no such thing as like women's writing or writing for women. I was polite, but I just went for it when so many people were just saying no. I had the luxury of writing what I cared about the most for a long time. I want to publish like amazing, brilliant, urgent, strange, innovative fiction. Think about every scene ending with a bitch slap. I'm Lux Alftrom. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Bindercast, a conversation series featuring our favorite women and gender nonconforming writers. This week, we're talking about a subject that is both everywhere and nowhere. Lee means abortion. So I I don't know about you, Lee, but although I have been fortunate enough to never need an abortion in my life, uh, the same is not true for a lot of women I know, my family members, my friends, just colleagues. A lot of women that I know have needed an abortion for one reason or another. And in some ways, I feel really lucky that I'm surrounded by so many women who are comfortable telling their stories, being open about their abortions, and talking about their abortions, because it means that if I'm ever in a situation where I do need to go through with that decision, I have resources to turn to. I know I'm not alone. I know that there are people to talk me through it. I know there are really strong women who have been there and are willing to help me with it. And That's not the case for a lot of women in America. For many people who have an unplanned pregnancy, have a pregnancy that they need to terminate for whatever reason, it just feels like you're the only person who's ever been through this. You're so alone. You're so scared. And it's it's really strange because in some ways it feels, as you mentioned, like we're always talking about abortion. We're fighting to save Planned Parenthood. You know, it's always in the news about this driving political issue. And yet the actual people who go through this, their stories are often silenced or erased or they're too afraid to speak up. And I think it's just so important to get more personal stories about abortion just so people realize that it is an ordinary and normal part of life for so many people. Yeah, it's like this – it's such a huge topic. But when you think about it on a personal level, it's like, oh, well, that's that's something that happens to other people. Right. But without hearing the personal stories, we do feel alone. And that's why I was so excited this week to talk to Mira Patassin because she's the author of a memoir called Pour Your Soul, which is about an abortion she had in her 20s after discovering her pregnancy was inviable. In this book, she pairs her own story of loss with that of her mother. Both women mourned the tragic death of Mira's teenage brother after he was killed in a car accident. Today, Mira lives on beautiful Peaks Island in Maine with her husband and two children. Her baby daughter, Simone, actually joined us in the recording studio, so any audio interference you hear is probably Simone gnawing on a headphone cord. I told Mira how surprised I was to find out just how few other memoirs there are on abortion. This is like a couple months ago, I like Googled abortion memoirs and Wendy Davis comes up. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. How can that be? Like, how can it be this thing that everyone's talking about and there's no, there are no books? I couldn't believe it at the time and I would take it so personally and I think it, I don't know why. I don't know why. And if it is published, it's usually published under 
a feminist section of the bookstore or in the political genre and never publishes a story. But I think it's so important to have it published as a story because that shows that it's not just this black and white decision or some form of birth control, but there are so many things that led up to that decision and influence the decision to, to terminate a pregnancy or to not. Pour Your Soul is written primarily in present tense, which made me feel like I was right there with Mira on every page. I asked her what it was like to write some of the most difficult scenes this way. I was conscious of how I wrote the, the scenes of when I found out the pregnancy was inviolable and when I was having the procedure done, and I wrote it as if it was happening on the page because I wanted people to know what it feels like in that moment psychologically and physically without time to process it and without time to have long perspective so people would know how messed up it is and how your emotions are all over the page and you're kind of like in um you're you're like running on adrenaline and it's hard to describe that in a way that makes sense just like the way I'm describing grief or writing about grief it's super messy and it's not structured neatly or not in some kind of specific order and I wanted the reader to feel what it feels like especially I wanted men to to be able to understand like you're making decisions as it's going along or you're you're just one foot at a time yeah I totally got the sense reading it I was totally there with you that it's like you are faced with this difficult decision with very little time to make it, then you're totally in the moment. And then afterwards, you're faced with all these questions because right. you had you didn't have six months to think about what would be the best thing to do. No, I had 10 days, 10 days to make a decision. And then and there's all this buildup and there, there's all this guilt. And I mean, I, I was just trying to be a raw nerve on the page with the thoughts that I was having when I was trying to make the decision. And they were messy thoughts and they were thoughts that you don't want to say out loud, but they, they're they there. And I'm sure other women have had those thoughts. Like, for instance, I had, I was not planning on getting pregnant and I was feeling guilty about being pregnant unplanned. So the whole pregnancy, I just wasn't that thrilled about it. So then one of the thoughts I had was, well, you know, what did I make this baby die with my thoughts? And that was kind of like a less rough thought. And just like after the abortion or when I'm trying to make a decision to terminate or not, I think about all the options and and the things that you think you don't talk about because you're embarrassed or you just don't want to scare someone else. So I just had to put it on the page just so women wouldn't feel like they're the only person have ha- who've had these feelings. But even though Mira was writing about an experience that so many others have gone through, her journey to getting this book published took years of patience and hard work. So I had... I have gone through like two agents and my agent who were back together, she was, she's, she's great. She's a big shot. She's a dream come true and she's tenacious. And how did she discover you? I um, tracked her down. I feel like I just balls to the wall, went for it and kind of went against being proper. I was polite, but I just went for it when so many people were just saying no. So with my agent, uh, I had known of her when I was at Sarah Lawrence, and she came to talk about what agents do. And I, I remember writing down her name, and I was like, that will be my agent someday. And so when I was finished with the book and happy with it, she was one of the first people I reached out to. And one of her clients taught at Sarah Lawrence. So I said, you know, would you mind introducing us? So when I sent her my query letter, it 
it mentioned how like now is the time abortion is such a taboo term but it needs to be oh sorry it needs to be something that's uh just not as taboo and and she responded and and said something like yeah think of all that wasted sperm and wasted babies so we had this political banter going back and forth and she she said she'd read the book and get back to me and she read it over the weekend and said yes absolutely which was to me that was like all i needed she sent the book out she sent the book out an agent at ran or an editor at random house was the one who wanted it and told me to expand the breadth of the memoir so we worked with her for a while. Um, I left New York, moved to Maine, had a baby, uh, was starting to create another life for myself outside of the city with less hustling and less concern for my for my writing life. But I was just determined to get the book published. But she kept trying and trying, and we were working with this editor. That fell apart. Um, she kept so submitting. What did it feel? I mean, when you were working with this Random House editor, were you like, this is it? Like, yes. I just have to keep revising? Yes. This is it? I mean, we became buddies. I was pretty determined that this was going to be like the next eat, pray, love. Of course. And I was like, we're going to be rich, honey. Um, my poor husband who kept saying like, you know, you got to get another job. And and it seemed like this was really going to happen. And, and I I really was, in her words, obedient to all her edits and her editorial remarks. But that's the reason she turned it down, which when we kept we kept asking, you know, what are you going to do? What are you thinking? And she was still wondering about the book. And then finally, at the end, she said that I was too obedient to her editorial remarks and comments. So I was devastated. We were kind of baffled. And then we just moved on. It was really depressing. But I'd been used to rejection so much that I just kind of knew what to feel like. So then my agent kept submitting my book. And then like a year went by. You know, we were kind of losing touch. And then she emailed me one day and just said, you know, I've been kind of out of touch, but I just had a death in my family and I have to stop representing so many books. And it's not against you. It's just yours is the hardest to sell. So I have to like decline it's and, not against you. It's just that yours is the hardest to sell. Yeah. I mean, it's she was brutal. It was really hard. And, and I just felt like nobody wanted it. But that didn't break me. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to do this on my own. I started sending the book out to um, editors on my own. And I just like would wake up one day, have a cup of coffee, check my email, send out my book to some editor, uh, do something else, look at Facebook. So it became really routine. And then one day, uh, I just got an email back from Soho Press saying, I got your book. I read it. Would you like to talk on the phone? And I thought that they were going to tell me in person or over the phone how much they liked it and didn't want it. But Mark Doton actually wanted it. And so this was October 1st. And it was the same day my mom found out she was in remission from cancer. So it was kind of the best day ever. But it just, I mean, I just was rejected so many times. And I remember... Even I sent it to a really small press who said, you know, yeah, if nobody wants it, we'll publish it. But then that press said, um, we feel like it would just be doing you a disservice if we published it because you need a bigger audience. So it was just impossible to get it published. But finally, one person said yes. So for people listening, how many years was it from when you oh my God. started this to, to, it to was, January? I think it was eight years. Eight years steady of constant rejection. And when you publish a memoir, 
it's really hard because you take rejection personally. Like, I remember one editor said, the story of her abortion and the death of her brother didn't work out magically enough for me. And I was like, what? I couldn't have planned, I couldn't have planned the timing any better for that. Sorry. So it was hard to do. But you just, I mean, you just have to keep going until you find the right person. You know, I think I tried to get it published too soon. And I didn't know how hard it was. I thought if if I believed in it and I was tenacious enough, it would happen really quickly. But the, each book has its own time period, I think, because it's so many factors. It's so subjective. You know, it just takes one editor and that one editor is going to love your book and they're going to believe in it. And they're maybe they're going to believe it, in it for um, financial reasons or maybe they're going to believe in it because they think it's an important book. Um, or maybe the timing is right. It's so many different things. And I just got so lucky with my editor because he felt the timing was right because there were no books like this. When often it's like, oh, yeah, we see a trend in the twilight. So let's start publishing more vampire books. This was like the first one. Um, and he took a risk and he did such a beautiful, beautiful job. I barely had to edit it. I was like really nervous about the cover. I never could have imagined a cover to be so perfect for the story. But I think it's a lot about timing. And I think it's just a lot about timing and things you can't control. But I thought I could control it. Like I would even wish when I saw Shooting Star for my book to be published. Or when I blew up my birthday candles, I would wish for my book to be published. And I thought these things would influence it. I don't think they did. But you just cannot give up. You just can't. If you can't accept the answer no, then you keep going until you get the answer you, you understand. So Lux, as I was reviewing my notes on the Mira interview, I had this flashback to being in Hi-Fi Bar where everything started for us with BinderCon. It was like fall of 2014. We had just had BinderCon and we were there to celebrate and I got these emails on my phone on a Friday night that were just all rejections from my memoir. It was like numbers 15, 16, and 17. And I just like burst into tears and I felt I felt like this book is never going to get published. And you said, don't worry, like you could always self-publish it. And then I just cried harder. So I just want to say for the record, I always believed in you and I knew – I knew you would get a publisher, as you did. Uh, but I just wanted you to know that you have options. And for me personally, the decision between going with a standard publisher or self-publishing is strictly an economic issue. The main reason I'm personally not interested in self-publishing is because if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to have to take off time and I need income coming in to replace the income that I'm losing from not taking all this other work. Self-publishing, not so good for that. You had somehow, and I still don't know how you did this, I'm amazed, managed to actually write this book while not getting paid for it. And the fact that you had this amazing completed manuscript, I was like, well, you know, just get the money coming in some other way. But yeah, it's it's really hard. And I'm, I'm impressed with both you and Mira that you managed to stick it out and find a... Uh, loving home for your book. Thanks, Lux. Well, let's get back to Mira because in the second half, we talk about her identity as a mom, which is really interesting because she's not just the woman who had an abortion. I mean that like in all caps. But she does have have this multifaceted identity that she um, involves in her work. Her memoir is more than just the story of an abortion. Right. I mean, I think there's this idea if you have an abortion, 
you'll never be able to be a family woman. Like you'll never be able to be a mom. It's just the end of that. Or if you write about abortion, that's the only thing you have to say. And I think it's great that Mira proves that moms have abortions and women who write about abortion have other things to say and other things on their mind. This book isn't like the abortion book, but it's a it's a love story that has an abortion in it. And I mean, in most of the places I've gone, they haven't introduced it as that. It's been more of like a book about child loss. And I don't think it's too avoid talking about abortion or or turn people off. I think that it's just so much more than that. People say, and I say that my beat is the uterus in the American dream. I was talking on a panel with Erin Carmon, and she said, it's like, I get the uterus, it's there, but what about the American dream? And there's, of course, like the story about my mom's American dream, but this book is kind of also about the American dream where you like have your the story of the book like you have your goal and you think if you just keep your eye on the prize you can get there but you you can't like you kind of think about long term but you have to work everything short term and just be open to whatever kind of sign is there and then you take it and then you see the next sign and you take it it's like running over a pond and you just jump on each rock till you get there because you can't make it happen a certain way I was just I was like envisioning it one certain way but now I'm like running around the country with my baby. I have spit up on my shoulder half the time. I cut off all my hair to make my life easier. And um, like you can't control it. You can't control the reviews you get. You can't control how much press you get. You can just write the best damn book that you can write and be really sincere with yourself and then just hope and work it like till it finds its mate or the person who's going to put it in the world or its midwife. I've talked with other guests on our show about how the dream of being a published writer never quite looks like what you imagined it would. As Mira says herself, even with long-term goals, you have to be open to what happens along the way. Your book just came out four weeks ago. Your daughter came out 10 weeks ago. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us about your book tour? Oh, sure. It's been pretty intense, but lovely. And At this point, I'm starting to become exhausted. It didn't start to hit me until the last flight that I still have another week or so to go. But she's so tiny and rolls with everything. It hasn't been too bad. And I've noticed how helpful women are on planes when you have an infant. So we've been traveling together. We've been around the nation for the past five weeks or so. Let's talk about the chronology of when you found out you were pregnant with her, when you found out your book was going to be published, when you had the idea, oh, I'll just take my family on book tour with me. Sure. Well, when I was working on the book, and I'd always have these fantasies, like, someday the book will be published, and we'll take the whole family out on a road trip. And I knew that no matter what the circumstance was, I'm not going to pass the opportunity to go on a book tour. Um, We'll make it work somehow. So I found out the book was going to be published in October. And then... I found I I was pregnant, I don't know, whatever the math is, about 12 months ago, I guess, February-ish. So when I found out I was pregnant, we were really excited. And then I told my publisher, oh, I'm pregnant, so let's work on something. And and my publicist was like, you don't have to worry about it until the time comes closer and no pressure. You know, we kept in touch and I was doing edits through my pregnancy and 
And often I would just say, like, I need, like, an extra week. I have morning sickness. And finally, when we got closer to the publishing date, my publicist asked, do I want to do it? And I said, yeah, she'll be portable enough. And we kind of figured we have some bottles. I have a breast pump. She's she's small. I have a baby carrier. And we could do it. It's much easier with her now than it would be if I had my two-year-old with me. Right, right. I totally understand that. Yeah, and I think I think so often on the podcast, but also at BinderCon, the conference, like we're always having these conversations about balancing motherhood oh, yeah. and writing and sacrifices. And I, you, yeah. I feel like you've come up with this very radical way to like not choose between them, but just like <laughs> so just, both. Yeah, that it's like this very holistic. Like this is me. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow I have a reading at Franklin Park, and my sister, she lives in New Jersey, and she was planning on babysitting, but something came up last minute, so she can't babysit. And so I have to bring, I have to either say no or bring Simone just because I don't feel comfortable with a babysitter I've never met before, and she's so young and doesn't know all the quirks. The babysitter wouldn't know all the quirks. So I'm bringing her, and it's possible that I might wear her as I read, and I, I don't want to to kind of make a statement like I'm you know I can do it all because it's really freaking hard and it's exhausting but I just I know I can get through it so I'm kind of just trying to get through it all and improvise overcome and adapt if possible right and as you're doing all this now I'm wondering do you have models like are there other women writers that you're like oh yeah well I saw her do this so like I could do this too or do you feel like you're the first (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know I never really thought about if I was the first one I just figured when you're a mom you just roll with it you know I I'm checking to see if I have spit up on my shoulder and you know like I'll have to leave and go pump in the middle of something so I don't even now that I have my second kid you just I know that you just roll with it any way you can but I do remember when I was thinking is it radical for me to think about bringing a baby on a book tour, I remember seeing photos of Emma Straub doing it, and it looked like so much fun. And she had her little son, River, at a book signing, and I figured, you know, this is this is something that's possible. I'm going to try it. So it's it hasn't been too bad. I keep looking at her right now. Yeah. She's always there. She's like always <laughs> she there. And it gives us a chance to bond. I mean, that's the best thing about it. If we were at home together, I'd probably be having her around. You know, she would be there. I would be there. But I'd be cleaning or trying to write and it's kind of frustrating when you have a newborn and you're trying to get anything done every two seconds they're they want you um (laughs) which is she's kind of doing it right now but um she's just always with me and we're going to have these little adventures together and we're moving around and we're on a plane and so we're we're getting our time in together maybe more than we would normally on social media it looks like mira is living her best life It's the perfect ending to the tragic losses she experienced in young adulthood. Handsome husband, beautiful kids, happy dogs, island living. But of course, life is always messier than it looks on Instagram, especially when you're trying to live your life at the same time you're narrating it. Like I have this family that's consuming me. And in some ways, it's like lucky for me that I can I can post these pictures of my kids because they're so darn cute and I can't post anything else. Like it's taken over everything, but it shows that there's like there, this is a true story and it keeps going on and on. And it's, it's amazing to me that Andrew and I are still married. Like it's a miracle. We, we only knew each other for a few months and we, we've been through hell and back, but we made it and we stuck together. We also left Maine or left to move to Maine just for our marriage. So I think 
throughout this whole process of trying to get a book published and writing a book, you just have to stay true to yourself and and live your life, but combine both writing and your your life. And you can hear the baby in the background. You can hear the life in the background. <laughs> You can buy a copy of Mira's book, Pour Your Soul, out from Soho Press, and follow her online at Mira Patassin. That's M-I-R-A-P-T-A-C-I-N. The Bindercast is a production of Out of the Binders, Inc., a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. Follow us on Twitter at The Bindercast. For more information about Out of the Binders, go to bindercon.com or follow us at BinderCon on Twitter. This episode was hosted by Lux Alptrom and Lee Stein and produced by Jennifer Lai and Henry Malofsky. Our theme music is Ready to Go by Miss Eves and Quiche.